You're listening to an ACR 2021 podcast, a compilation of reports, interviews, perspectives, and panel discussions that feature the Room Now faculty and noted experts. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reporting at Room Now, and I'm hoping you're following the ACR 2021 Convergence meeting. Uh, we'd like to uh, talk on some important topics around TNF inhibition. So, Ariel, do you want to tell me um, who you are and then what you'd like to discuss today? Hey, sure, absolutely. I'm Dr. Aurélie Najm. I'm from Glasgow. Um, today, um, the few abstracts I want to discuss are about um, drug antibody monitoring um, a little. And um, I know David David has um, to tell about that as well. And so I'm going to make the good introduction for him. Um, then I also would like to talk a little bit about um, all the different disease domains in PSA and how um, you know, TNF um, inhibitors can, can act. Um, and, and finally, I'll talk a little bit about <clears throat> about um, uh, single cell monitoring, uh, single cell analysis, pathway analysis, and how maybe it can help, uh, you know, the direct treatment in the future. So um, just very briefly uh, to, to, to go back to the disease domains. So it was um, abstract 1818. I just was in the Core Vitas registry, and it's a you know, prospective registry of PSA and uh, spondyloarthritis patients above 600 follow up seven years on TNF inhibitors. And what they did was actually cool because they looked into TNF inhibitors uh, maintenance and persistency over time and also um, duration to stop uh, based on the different. Sorry, names. I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, that's my, oh, actually my Siri got activated by my voice. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, anyway, so they looked into the different domains, um, peripheral arthritis, skin disease, antithesitis, um, dactylitis, you know, and, and so the persistency of the drug was actually um, about 75% over six months and dropped to 39% over 24 months, which is basically um, pretty much uh, basic figures that we know for um, TNF inhibitors in PSA. Um, but see, interestingly, there was no difference um, in persistency based on the, every single domain. The only thing that they showed was that actually the time to stop was shorter if people had um, in, in the domain of antithesitis or actual PSA, which we also know because these are the most difficult to treat, um, but um, also it was longest uh, with patients with oligoarthritis. Now, um, moving on to uh, the, uh, you know, heterogeneity in PSA and uh, single cell analysis and translational uh, research, the abstract 1816, which was um, using the select PSA1 study, um, you know, uh, patients uh, samples. So just for memory, you probably all know it. It was comparing uh, upadacitinib, adalimumab, and placebo in about 300 patients. And what they did is that they took Sera from these patients and they looked, they did single cell protein biomarker analysis using the O-Link technology. Um, this just technology allows you to analyze loads of um, biomarkers and proteins at the same time. And they did pathway analysis. And the thing that they showed that was quite interesting, I thought was that upadacitinib was more, um, 
you know, uh, um, targeting uh, adaptive immunity and especially T cells and, you know, B lymphocytes and also the pathways uh, with um, um, uh, bone resorption and um, angiogenesis while um, adalimumab was more likely to, um, uh, you know, act on innate immunity pathways. I think it's quite interesting because this could start unraveling, um, you know, different disease mechanisms or different treatment mechanisms, and this could be a basis for personalized therapy. Now, personalized therapy can also be about drug uh, monitoring, and this is where I'm going to talk about number 1525, which uh, was actually looking at the randomized control trial Nordram A, which, as you probably know, was negative. There was about about 400 patients, and they look into um, you know, infliximab immunogenicity and anti-drug antibodies. And they were just reporting that the factors that were associated with um, a positivity of these anti-drug antibodies, first of all, 19% of the patients overall had antibodies and associated with smoking and a longer drug holiday. So more than 11 weeks basically was just predictive of having anti-drug antibodies while a higher dosage of um, infliximab or an increase in dosage or other immunosuppressive treatment were reducing that uh, risk. And interestingly, they showed that RA was predictive of having antidrug antibodies. I think it's just because RA patients just get lower dosage. Um, I mean, at least that could be an option, but um, yeah, um, that, that was pretty much it for me. Uh, right. And they, they probably RA probably makes more antibodies. Hard to say. Yeah. So let me get it straight. You're telling me that persistence of TNF inhibitors and psoriatic arthritis is, um, first of all, it's not great. We're not doing as well as we'd like. Uh, by a couple of years, it's way down and they followed for seven years and you've lost like more than two thirds of the cohort at the end. You're saying that single cell biomarkers show a difference between UPA, um, basically looking at a JAK kinase inhibitor, and uh, adalimumab looking at a TNF, but yet on head to head, they did kind of about the same. And then you're telling me that anti-drug antibody monitoring that maybe would be a solution for some of the TNF inhibitors, at least in this trial, really didn't help us very much. So um, it kind of seems like we had a triple header of not very positive things, although not that negative either. So David, I guess, do you have a different spin on drug monitoring? Well, there is slightly better news on the horizon. And I think that's I'm very grateful to Ariel for setting that up for me, <laughs> because I think it, this is, it does come down to, um, I think there's been a lot of negativity in rheumatology about um, therapeutic drug monitoring in the past because we haven't been able to show it works. Um, but Nordrum, um, so firstly, I, I mean, I, I'll say that it's obviously um, really very philanthropic of the Norwegians to do these kind of studies because they can do this on a, in a well-organized way, in a centralized way, um, without necessarily concern for money, you know, this is a kind of liberty that oil buys you, right? And um, uh, the difference between Nordrum A and Nordrum B is that Nordrum B is looking at proactive TDM rather than reactive TDM. And I guess taking what I always said about the antibodies, I mean, you'd want to think that you, once you start on this cascade of and, and developing anti-drug antibodies, it's hard to catch up on that. 
um, you're really chasing um, uh, you're chasing something which is very hard to, to try and overwhelm. And um, our IBD colleagues only have more success in overwhelming it than we do. Um, but what if we were to get to the point where instead of the randomness that we were talking about in previous days of essentially um, decreasing or increasing uh, something like infliximab dose, uh, just on a whim, what if we were to do it on the basis of drug levels? And that's what they did in Nordrum B. So really what they've done, they, they had a set strategy based on um, drug levels. So basically, if your drug levels were in the, in the range, keep them there. If they were low, increase it up. If they were very low, then they, and then try and uh, potentially, and if there were anti-drug antibodies, switch away. And then if they, if they were um, very high, potentially reduce them down and essentially guide yourself on that basis. And on that basis, um, and they looked at this over, over multiple different um, diseases. In fact, it, wash, it washed out um, that it actually um, favoured therapeutic drug monitoring um, across all diseases. But then when they looked at um, subcategories, including um, spondyloarthritis, what they've classified as spondyloarthritis there, um, then there was benefit as well. And in fact, if you look at um, time to disease worsening, and there's some really nice Kaplan-Meier um, it's really nice, Kathleen Meyer. This presentation has only just happened a few minutes ago <laughs> before this, this panel. Um, we saw that essentially the hazard ratio uh, with this type of approach was actually two compared to, uh, in, sorry, the hazard ratio, ratio of, uh, of standard therapy worsening is two, you know, so basically twice as, as um, the TDM approach is twice as good. So really in that situation, I think that gives us a lot of optimism. Now, I think we need to drill down on the details. We don't know at this point in time what the standard approach was in terms of what people did in terms of reduction. Reductions were allowed there. Um, this is an open label study, so people um, could easily have been uh, taken down the taken down a different pathway and believed, um, you know, that this more kind of scientific approach was actually better. But at the same time, it's the first time we've seen TDM work in rheumatology for TNF inhibitors, and I think that's a big moment. It, it's a big moment, but I think we have to not hold our breath um, because of the fact that therapeutic drug monitoring has been negative in at least two IBD trials, even though uh, there's still a belief system. But I mean, it makes sense. It would be like antibody, uh, antibiotic levels. It would be similar to um, when we're monitoring INRs on a drug like warfarin, that it would make sense to try to get people into that target range. However, number needed to treat to improve one person is unknown right now and number needed yeah. to harm with side effects. You know, there is a decent therapeutic window on, on a drug like infleximab, adalimumab, et cetera, but there's also cost, uh, cost to getting one benefit. So I think it's pretty exciting. It kind of makes sense. And um, when we already just heard that retention is not as great as we would like on um, any of our drugs, including uh, TNF inhibitors and drugs like, or in diseases like psoriatic arthritis, why not do the best we can do? So I'm, I'm for it. It would be great to have some of these drugs flat dose pricing. That would be unbelievable. So with the Clin Pharma hat on, I think you're going to say more will come. Let's see what happens. More will come. Let's see what happens. You got it. I think I'll <laughs> say that too. Um, moving along. So what about um, looking at drug comparativeness on um, basically safety? So Eric, I think you were going to tell us a bit about skin cancer. Yeah, I think from a TMS perspective, this was something that interested me a lot because this is part of part of the conversation you have when you start TNF. I always tell talk to patients about uh, seeing a dermatologist and increased risk of non-melanomatous non skin cancer, so basal cell and squamous cell cancers. 
So I was very interested to see um, Abstract 1942, which was um, the rabbit cohort from Germany, and they, they um, presented their data on risk of um, non-melanoma skin cancers on various biologic medications. Um, and what, what was a little surprising to me was, was really the one thing that, that stood out was abatacept above all the other um, biologic medications. So TNF uh, and the other medicines really didn't show as much of a signal as I had expected to see. Um, and what they saw was a, a hazard ratio of about two for abatacept. I, I think there's a couple things within that analysis that this is a, a cohort study and um, the patients that were on TNF inhibitors, they were more likely to be first line or, or earlier biologic use. Um, some of the patients on, on abatacept were um, you know, further along in their disease duration and it may have had other risk factors and other things as well. Um, but I, I think certainly skin cancer is something that we have a lot of concern with with abatacept for particularly melanoma. Um, I think that's something that to have in the back of your mind. Uh, I think there's a little bit more information that I'd want from a TNF, um, TNF picture there. The other thing that was also noted was that patients with, with co-medication with, meta, with methotrexate may also have more of an increased signal. Uh, and again, was this a sicker population? Was there something else? Um, is it, something that I think will be interesting for more information. But I, I saw overall kind of reassuring from the, from the TNF picture, but I, I think um, it's definitely something to watch with abatacept a bit further. Right. So I think what you're telling me is TNF performed better than we thought, but uh, the abatacept were further along, more comorbidity, maybe sicker, and mm -hmm. that that kind of confounding or channeling bias might sort of damn a drug when maybe the risk is the same amongst groups. I think time will tell, but it was a nice presentation, a large end, and I think it's just something to keep in mind with all our patients. And there are data from Australia where methotrexate has increased skin cancer and various diseases diseases, not just our rheumatic diseases, but there are other studies, um, a U.S. registry where they looked at hydroxychloroquine and methotrexate, where the skin cancer risks were the same. And so it's really tough to know it's increased or it's not. It depends on probably the risk factors and where your ozone layer, where, where you live, ozone layer or not. And I think going back to Glasgow, there, there's not a ton of sun there. So skin cancer there would be less, although people are fairer, perhaps in Scandinavia and Glasgow and Celtic kind of genes than maybe moving along to other areas where um, sunburns might increase your skin cancer risk too and all the usual confounders. So with that in mind and looking at the differences, um, Sweta, I, th I think you have um, something to tell us about racial differences and how that affects TNF inhibitor usage and uh, sustainability. Thank you, Dr. Borg. So I found this very interesting study. It's abstract number 1780. So they studied the racial differences in psoriatic arthritis patients in a very large US real world database. Um, I think the downside to the study is that uh, they based it on the computer diagnosis. But either way, they have a very high number of patients. They had about 26,000 patients who were included. And out of this, some of the interesting points that I saw was 95% um, of this were Caucasians and 5% were African-Americans, but it, like it's because of the population being this much, it's still a good number of representation. And they found, they wanted to find uh, what were the differences in the TNFIs, the NSAIDs, or the DMRs that was used. And among the tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, about 51% of the 
Caucasians used TNFI and 41% of the African Americans. And even though um, I understand that the percentage might not be different, but when they did the probability scoring, there was a significant difference in the usage of TNFI. And I think this goes along the lines of many, many abstracts showing racial disparity. And it's, it has to be more than um, downright access or lack thereof, because if you actually get prescribed a drug that's an advanced therapy, you've had some degree of access to um, a touch point with the healthcare system. And even to make the diagnosis, the code of 696 or 721, however they did their uh, coding to identify psoriatic arthritis somebody coded it so they've had access so it just seems that we saw a lot of it in lupus we saw racial disparity amongst every single study jia each disease that looked at it at this meeting and i think um we have to have our eyes open and as one uh, one of the uh, speakers said in one of the sessions is that if you say you're colorblind, you're lying. She didn't quite say it like that, but she said we all see color, race, socioeconomic status, and it's our unconscious bias. And hopefully after this meeting, we'll go home and say uh, back to our practices and say, I, I really have to make sure that I, you know, pinch myself now and then that I'm giving the, the best treatment for every patient walking in, not just the most literate, most demanding patients who are say like me, right? So patients, all of them, it's really important that we actually give access where appropriate and have um, more loving, uh, level playing field on outcomes such as lupus nephritis or JIA rehospitalization, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this meeting really... Um, uh, tried to give a spotlight to that. So thank you for presenting that. So we hope everybody enjoyed their room now. Um, you, there will be loads and loads of information to come. So please keep following us and we all tweet away um, on a regular basis. Thank you.